We're going to be in Mark 4, that passage that Catherine read to us this morning. It's a hugely familiar passage to many of us. I'm sure, uh, well, I wouldn't like to guess how many of us have probably even taught it in things like Sunday schools or Bible clubs or taught it to our own children, perhaps. And uh, the message that you often hear attached to this parable when it's taught is a message that it goes along the lines of, do not be the wrong type of soil. Don't be the wrong type of soil. Look at all these soils that there were. Some rejected the word. Some begin by accepting the word, but eventually fall away. And there's only one type of soil that is the good soil. And we make it a message about, uh, well, challenging the children. In what sense have they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? And is their acceptance genuine or is it just superficial? Now, I don't want to uh, push that interpretation away too far. I think that's a, a valid biblical teaching that there are many places in the New Testament that warn believers in this way. And I think you can also get it from this parable, even. That's certainly part of what's going on here. There's a comparison being made between the different soils. But I don't think it's the primary purpose. I don't think it's the first reason that Jesus was teaching this parable. There's a few clues at, at that. Uh, well, one clue is uh, from the NIV translation. You, if you've got a Bible like mine, the heading at the top of chapter 4 is the parable of the sower. Now, if the parable was really all about the different responses that people have to the word, oughtn't the parable be about the soils? Shouldn't it be called the parable of the soils? Now, those headings are not scripture. That's just what the translator has put in to help us find our way around. But it indicates that those who are translating the scripture have thought, oh, this it's probably not primarily about the soils. There's some other focus going on here. And when you start to look at actually the scripture itself and what's going on in this parable and what's going on around it, you see that, yeah, the focus lies somewhere else. The focus does lie with the sower, with the one who is uh, sowing and harvesting. Listen, if this was a warning to unbelievers, then it doesn't make any sense that the parable is veiled from unbelievers. You don't put the air raid siren inside the bomb shelter. You don't tell people it's a weak bridge after they've gone over it. You put the warning beforehand so that people can respond to it. But it seems like this parable is being given in a veiled way, so that those outside the kingdom don't fully understand it. And certainly that's what looks like is going on in verse 11 and 12. Jesus tells his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Or the mystery has been revealed to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. There's an expectation that they will not respond. They'll be completely ignorant of the, the, the true message. And you see that in verse 12. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing and never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, at this point, I'd just like to add a, a little explanation on that verse. Don't think the so that is the purpose of the parables. I don't think so that is explained, uh, is explaining uh, why the parables are being saying, being said. I think the so that is explaining what comes in verse 12. So that this scripture would be true. So that it would be fulfilled. And what Jesus is doing is pointing back to the prophets, Isaiah in this case, and saying, look, in every case, God's kingdom has grown amid an environment of rejection and hostility. And the preaching of the word doesn't uh, always bring about a response to the word. And so Jesus looks at, back at Isaiah's ministry and sees that's what was going on there. And he looks at his own ministry and he's explaining to the disciples that's what's going on here. 
And in fact, it's not only the words of Jesus that will be rejected, but everything that Jesus does. When verse 11, he says, those on the outside, everything is said in parables, a, a, an entirely rigidly wooden literal translation might have it something like, everything done becomes a parable. Uh, all of Jesus' life, all of his all of his miracles, all of his dealings with sinners and unacceptable people, it becomes a parable to the, to the unbelievers. And they continue to reject it because it is unfathomable, unacceptable to them. So all things become parables to those on the outside. It's not that they can't believe even if they wanted to. It's that they will not believe unless they understand and turn towards these things. So, the parable, I would say, is not a warning to unbelievers. It's not a warning to us about being careful about which soil you are and which soil you aren't. Instead, Jesus is giving the parable as a help to his disciples, to those on the inside. And what he's doing is he's using the parable to explain to them what the kingdom is like, how it will grow, what is the work that the sower is doing, so that as they can see this more clearly, they will be encouraged to persevere. And so my intention this morning is to use the parable to provide clarity for us on how God's kingdom is intended to grow. And having done that, I hope it will be an encouragement to us to persevere, even through times when it looks like God's kingdom is failing and falling away and falling apart. Now, first then, a little bit of context for the parable. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we were going through our series in Mark. um, And it'd be worth noting that in Mark's Gospel, one of the priorities that Mark wants to get across is the priority of the kingdom of God. The first words that Jesus speaks in Mark chapter 1, the first words in the whole Gospel, Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus' message is about the kingdom of God. Often, when we talk about Christianity, we're talking about personal, individual salvation, your own response to Jesus, and how you are saved. But in Mark's Gospel, the focus is not on individuals responding. The focus is more about the kingdom that Christ is bringing. And that's important, because if Mark's intention was only about individual, personal response, then it wouldn't really matter too much about those who reject him. Okay, some reject him, let's move on, and let's think about those who accept him. But actually what you see Mark doing so often is getting us to look at those who reject Jesus and why. And the first uh, two chapters 2 and 3 have been all about Jesus being rejected. Being rejected by the most important, by the religious leaders, by the Pharisees, by the teachers of the law. And so the pattern that you've got in Mark's Gospel is Jesus arrives on the scene, tells us the kingdom of God is near, Many people begin to follow him. He gets huge crowds chasing after him in chapter 1. But then chapter 2 and chapter 3, it gets continued and persistent rejection and opposition. The Pharisees think he's blaspheming. Uh, they, they hate him because he heals on the Sabbath. And they decide at the very beginning of chapter 3 to kill him. And by the end of chapter 3, you've got his own family saying that Jesus is out of his mind. And you've got the Pharisees saying that Jesus is empowered by Satan himself. This is how he can performance miracles. And so for those reading Mark's gospel, the question is, well, whatever happened to that kingdom that Jesus was going to bring in? What happened to his authority and his power? What what happened to him ruling over people? What happened to people submitting to him? What happened to him ever having charge? It seems like it's all gone wrong. What has happened to the kingdom? 
And so Jesus, in response to that implicit question, brings us this parable. And I think that's why Mark includes it at this stage in his narrative, to answer those questions of what's happened to the kingdom. Jesus begins his story. A farmer goes out into his field and he begins to sow seed. Why does he sow seed? I hear nobody ask. Because you don't ask why a farmer sows seed. It's obvious why a farmer sows seeds. That's his role, that's his purpose. He lives to sow seed. No, he doesn't live to sow seed, does he? Because sowing the seed is not his task. That's not his goal. He's not just there to get the best sowing that he possibly can. His sowing is not the end goal. He sows for a different purpose. He sows the seed so that he can reap the harvest. It might seem like a small point, but I think it's significant. The farmer sows the seed. Because the sowing is not his primary aim, he's got a different aim, he's got the harvest as his aim, that affects how he was going to sow. If he was sowing just for the purpose of being the best sower, then he wouldn't scatter them and fling them across the field. He'd plant them one by one in little rows. He'd have his dabber in his left hand and he'd have a bag of seed in his right hand and he'd put one seed in each hole and he'd go along the field methodically and only put them in the best places. But that's not how the farmer works. Because he wants to maximise his harvest. He wants to push his seed right to the edge of the field. He wants to use every opportunity. He wants to bring in as much harvest as he possibly can. And he knows that his harvest, if he does it right, is going to be bountiful. And so he scatters his seed far and wide. He flings it. And some of the seed, unfortunately, lands on the path. That soil that's been hard trodden by feet walking across it all the way through the winter and early spring. And as a farmer sows the seed, perhaps he can even see it. He throws it, it flies through the air, it lands on the path. No, it doesn't even land. It kind of bounces off and scuttles around. The path is so hard and impermeable that the seed can get no purchase on the soil. And so it just bounces off, skitters around. And then the birds come and take it away and eat it. And that seed is lost. It's not going to provide him any harvest. Is it a problem with the seed? Is he throwing the wrong seed over there? Should he get some thicker, heavier seed so it can land with a bit more force? No, the problem's not in the seed. The problem is in the soil. It's hard. It's, it's the soil that's the problem. And because the soil is hard then the seed, even if it was, even if it found a little crack, it couldn't begin growing because, because it sits on the surface, the birds come and take it away. Now already, you can see a parallel to Christ's work. Christ has come and begun scattering the word, he calls it, of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. And the word scatters to, to everyone, to, to the far corners of, of society, including those religious leaders. And there are some who, under no circumstances, will ever accept this word. Their hearts are hard. And so the word just bounces off them. It can't get purchase. They will reject this word of Jesus Christ at all costs. The problem is not with the word. The problem is not that the sower is doing his job wrongly. The problem is in the hearts of those who reject the word. And as soon as they reject it, you've also got Satan doing his work of removing the word and removing its influence. And so Jesus can look around at those religious leaders who call him a son of Satan, who say that he is empowered by Satan. And he knows that these are those who the seed is landing on that path, hard trodden, 
and will never accept at any cost. There's other seed, though, when the sower goes out, that is more successful. Some of the seed finds some soil. And Jesus describes in in the little story about how the farmer scattered his seed and some of it lands in the rocky places. The soil is shallow there, probably soft, probably quite dusty. And so the the, the seed uh, plops itself in and begins to grow. And it begins to grow really quickly. It's easy for the for the seed to, to get purchased because the, the water sits on the surface. The sun is right there beaming down on it. And so it shoots up immediately. But the farmer knows that this seed, although it springs up quickly, and although at the beginning it looks the most promising, it will not be the seed that eventually brings him his harvest. Because this seed has no root. It's got no root. And so when the sun comes out and peeps out from behind the clouds and burns down its scorching heat on that field, the the plant is withered and it dies. And although it started quickly, it dies even quicker. And Jesus can look around again during his ministry. Perhaps the disciples watch with him. He knows that the crowds that have followed him from village to village, town to town, bringing those who are ill, those who are demon-possessed, at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus is so pressed by the crowds that he's had to stand in a boat and push himself out on the lake. Here are the people who at once receive the word with joy. They are eager for it. They will follow Jesus anywhere and everywhere. This is such a wonderful man. He can do such wonderful things. Let's follow him. Let's be part of what he's doing. And they bring their sick and they're ready to listen to him. And they listen to his teaching. They'll lap it all up. But Jesus knows that although he's got this crowd of followers going place to place with him, their following will not last. It is insincere. They've got no root. They've not really assessed the teaching of Jesus. They've not really listened to what it is that he's calling them to. They've not really understood his call to repent and to follow him in faith. And when the sun of opposition begins to burn down on them, when it becomes unpopular, to follow Jesus. Jesus knows they, they will wither away just as quick as they once turned up. They will not continue to follow. And there are many today in, in, in similar situations. Many today who are happy to follow Jesus while it's convenient, while it's joyful, while it's exciting, while their friends are part of the church, while it can be an opportunity for them to guarantee some sort of success in academics or business or relationships or uh, marriage or whatever else. While it's easy, while it's joyful, they're ready to accept the word with ease. But they won't continue, not through times of persecution. And even if that persecution doesn't come, their root is not deep enough to provide them with the sustenance that will cause them to be part of the harvest when the sower returns. There is more seed that the sower scatters. Uh, Some he scatters on soil which is deeper it's got good nutrients here and the the seed takes a little bit longer to grow it takes time for the roots to go down before the shoots begin coming up and this seed looks much more promising but even this seed jesus notes the sower realizes this seed also won't make his harvest because it grows up in an area that is surrounded by thorns and weeds And as the seed grows up, it is choked by the thorns and it is choked by the weeds around it. Perhaps at this point, Jesus looks around at those disciples who are sat with him. And he notes those who 
whose commitment to Jesus seems so much more sincere than the huge crowds that have been following him. They have considered carefully what it means to follow him. They have already made significant sacrifices, leaving their businesses and and perhaps even their families, leaving their lives of sin behind in order to become one of Jesus' followers. Levi, the tax collector. Andrew, Peter, Simon, the, the, the fishermen. They've left so much already. They know what it means to follow Christ and they've already begun to make those sacrifices. But amongst that group of close followers, there is one Judas. Mark has already introduced us to him. Judas the betrayer. Judas who became so entangled in the deceits of wealth that although at one time he looked promising, although at one time he looked as though he was just like the rest of the twelve, driving out demons, preaching the name of Jesus Christ, in the end he fell away and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ because of the deceits of wealth. And Jesus explains in the parable, this is totally common. The sower scatters seed and some of it lands among the thorns. And the thorns do their work. And those seed that lands there will not be part of the harvest. It looks pretty grim for the sower. What sort of harvest can he expect? He's scattered his seed over the field and most of it, in the language of the parable at least, most of it seems to be landing on inadequate soil. The hard path, the thorny ground, the stony ground. And although you might get little shoots or or pockets of growth seemingly appearing, the farmer knows that if this is all he's got, then his harvest will be worthless. He will have wasted his seed. He will have wasted his effort. And you can imagine the disciples looking at Jesus and thinking, Jesus, are, are you also wasting your effort? Are you also wasting your effort? With all these followers who are following you just on on an entirely superficial level. Knowing that, Jesus, if you stop performing these miracles, they've got no interest in your teachings at all. They would turn from you just as quickly as they turn towards you. Is it all going to be lost? And Jesus continues in his parable and says, well, the farmer knows that it isn't all lost. He knows that some of his seed have landed on those inadequate soils, but he continues sowing. And as he continues sowing, some of his seed lands on good soil. And it's from the seed that lands on good soil that the, harvest, that the farmer will eventually take his harvest. When will that harvest come? You might ask yourself. The same day? No, no, no. You don't sow a seed and then reap it in the evening. You sow the seed and then you wait. You wait and you nurture it and you continue feeding it and you plow it in. And you wait hours, days, months. And only then do you begin to see the shoots growing up, the strong, healthy roots. And at first they look so weak. If you walked across the field, you'd you'd trample the harvest. You'd destroy your work. At first it looks so weak, but, but over time it gets bigger and bigger. And even over time, that same sun that at once beat down and burned up and scorched those seeds that were in the rocky ground, that same sun beats down and ripens and dries and prepares the seed for the harvest. And later, the same sower who sowed the seed comes back with his sickle and he reaps his harvest. Not all of the seed that was sown produces a harvest, but he does produce a harvest, a harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What is that? 
thirtyfold harvest that, that Jesus talks about. Some, some talking about it as, as though it's kind of other converts that Christians might make. I don't think that's the intent of, of Jesus' words. I think he's just showing that when the farmer goes out to sow his seed, he knows that his eventual harvest will not be impacted by the fact that some seed has landed on poor ground. So long as he scatters his seed to the good ground and fills that space, he will maximize his harvest, and his harvest will be bountiful. God will send the rain and the sun, and God will make it grow in an unseen and silent way, and his harvest will be plentiful at the time when he returns. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, look, my word is going out. I'm not restricting it. I'm not being overly careful about who it goes to. I'm offering it to everyone who will listen. And for those who do listen and hear it and accept it, it will begin to work in their hearts. And no, just like for the sower, the harvest doesn't come immediately. The harvest takes time, yet the harvest will come. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples He's saying, don't assume that the kingdom is finished just because it currently looks like it has been entirely rejected. Just because I've faced all this opposition that Mark has recounted in chapters 2 and 3. Just because the religious leaders, those of you might expect to be most important in establishing a kingdom, just because they've rejected me, don't expect that my harvest will be empty. The parable is not a warning. It is an encouragement. It is preparing his believers, his disciples, of what to expect when they see the kingdom grow. And the first thing it's preparing them to do is preparing them to wait. Wait. Keep waiting. God is doing his work, perhaps in an unseen way. The other parables that we didn't read in chapter 4, one of them is the parable of the growing seed. And it talks about how the, the, the farmer plants his seed and it grows underground overnight. The farmer doesn't know how. He just knows that it will. And over time it grows. And so Jesus encourages his his followers, wait, the harvest is coming. Despite every evidence that you can see, perhaps to the contrary, despite all the rejection and hatred that the followers of Christ face, the harvest is coming. And he also prepares his disciples not to give up just because some of the seed fails. The kingdom will always be growing in an environment of hostility and rejection. And perhaps even it's when that hostility is strongest that the harvest grows quickest. And so whether that's the religious leaders in Mark's gospel, whether that's the experience of the disciples with the early church and the oppression and rejection of the Jewish people and the Roman uh, Empire, or whether today... It's you looking around at the culture in which you live and seeing a church that is abandoning the truth that it once proclaimed. Or seeing a culture in the UK that is turning its back on those Christian influences that were once held cherished and important in society. And you wonder, is is the kingdom failing? Is the harvest being lost? Are the birds having their way, taking up the seed? Are we going to lose all that we've worked for? And Jesus is preparing his disciples to say, no, the the kingdom works in exactly this way. The kingdom grows amid that arena of persecution. And just like the sun uh, sometimes uh, burns up the seed so that it is lost, at other times it's the same sun which ripens and strengthens the harvest.
And so he prepares his disciples for faithful and persistent sowing of the word. They become hirelings for the farmer. They go out and sow the seed. They go out and continue the work of harvesting, preparing the field, sowing the seed, so that others might grow and be part of the harvest. And yes, there will be discouragements. There will be discouragements of seeing some seed seemingly grow up, seeming looking so promising, and yet in the end falling away. There will be discouragements of direct opposition, satanic attack on the harvest. And yet the encouragement that we're given through the parable is don't give up. Don't change the seed. The problem is not with the seed. Don't water down the message so that it fits easier with the culture that you're trying to reach. Continue sowing faithfully. Continue sowing the fullness of the gospel. Look, if you water down the gospel to try and maximize the harvest, actually you'll not get any harvest at all. All you're doing in effect is planting that seed in, in rocky and stony ground with no root. With, you're creating believers who can accept the word with joy because there is no difficulty or sacrifice or cost in it. But although they look promising at first, they will not eventually be part of the harvest. Don't compromise, Jesus is telling his disciples. The problem is not with the seed. Persevere. And there, there is one part of it which is a warning. A warning to those who do have ears to hear. Those who would listen carefully to Jesus' words. A warning to think, have I truly accepted Christ? Have I heard it and accepted it? Not just heard it and been willing to receive it with joy, but heard it, accepted it and begun to produce a crop. The verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, goes hand in hand with chapter 3, verse 35. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother, Jesus says. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And so the question I want to finish with this morning is, have you really heard Jesus' word. Has this seed implanted itself in your own heart? Heard it and accepted it. Not just, not just willing to accept some of the ideas, but allowed it to really take root in your heart. To influence your ambitions, your desires, your loves, your whole life. Is your whole life growing from this seed that has been implanted in your heart? Or are you like the soil, uh, the rocky soil? Or are you like the thorny soil, distracted and tempted away by other things. Have you heard? And will you produce a crop? Will you be part of the harvest when the sower returns?